I'm Steven. And I'm Kevin. In today's episode of The Steven and Kevin Show, we're going to talk about psychological barriers and biases. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 40 of the Stephen and Kevin Show. Today, we're going to be talking psychology. Yeah, and uh, to celebrate, we are both drinking 40s here. To anyone who's listening via podcast, actually, no. Never mind that it is 8.30 in the morning. Uh, <laughs> it is Friday. and uh, Episode 40, somewhere. drink a couple 40s. Um, but anyway, no, Let's. Um, we're, we're going to get into today. I think it's going to be a, a really fun topic. We like getting into some of the psychology behind uh, selling and, and talking about how you can use it to your advantage in the sales process. Before we do, if you have a question, use hashtag AskStevenAndKevin on Twitter or on Instagram. We're looking for more questions for the show. We like involving our audience. It's fun. You get your question answered. Um, and, uh, you know, so again, reach out to us. If anything is on your mind, ask us a question. Yeah, we've gotten away from that hashtag, and we'd like to get back into it. We love your questions and would like more of them. Mm-hmm. Also, if you haven't yet completed a coaching consultation form, we will provide a link for you to do so. We'd love for you to take us up on the offer of, let's have a chat. Let's see if our coaching can help you. It's been helping countless advisors since 1978 to bring in more business, to run their business more efficiently. It works. That's why we're still around and why we have a booming coaching program. So take us up on uh, <laughs> never mind the pop-up that just came in. And oh, yeah. We're out. moving through that pop-up. It's moving fine. right through. So yep. uh, take us up on that. If, uh, if the shoe fits, we'd love for you to wear it. Today, we're going to be talking about psychology. And we know we covered a little bit of this last time. We talked about limiters. Yes. And that's part of a new exercise we're rolling out that we've had a lot of fun with. Today, we're going to take a little bit of a different spin on it and examine some of the common psychological terms out there that are applicable to advisors and their relationships with clients and prospects. Yeah, you, you know, you you have biases, your prospects have biases, you know, and and so how do you are first off you need to be aware of them, right? Mm-hmm. And then how do you use them to your advantage? And if you know of a particular bias, then that maybe will shape your first impression or will shape um, you know, how you follow up with people. And there's some really inter- interesting stuff that we're going to be going through today. Yeah, I mean, this is a kind of advanced sales skills that mm-hmm. is beyond the idea of I've got to come up with my hook and my one-liner of how I explain what we do. All good stuff, but this is going a little bit next level in terms of whether you've heard Matt talk about reverse psychology over the years. Sure. Or as we'll talk about here in a moment, the confirmation bias. How do we use a little bit of psychological leverage mm-hmm. to get people moving in the right direction? Cool. So let's, let's get into it today. Let's start with uh, that first one, Stephen, that confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is the tendency to search for or interpret new information in a way that confirms one's preconceptions and to avoid information and in, in interpretations which contradict prior beliefs. So you're basically... From the first minute you meet somebody, you form an impression, mm-hmm. and subconsciously from that point forward, you're reconfirming that impression over and over, and you're avoiding information that contradicts that. So on the negative side, if I meet Kevin and I think from the first minute I meet him, he is a real chatterbox, right? This guy, <laughs> I cannot shake him. He, he is a talker, right? right? The next right. time I see Kevin, what's going on in the back of my mind? All you're doing is looking for clues that reaffirm that I'm a chatterbox. Yeah, uh, or or in, fill in any you know fill in the blank here. If right. Kevin is uh, whether it's too talkative, too cocky, too drank too much, right? I mean anything. These are not Kevin. Let's but, not get too um, personal. 
any any of these things we yeah. remember. On the positive side, if if Kevin, you know, if the first time I met Kevin was at a board meeting and he was there early, he was well prepared, he mm-hmm. asked thoughtful questions, he was dressed properly. From that point forward, I'm thinking Kevin's a pro, you know. Yeah. And Kevin could have one bad instance with me, and I'm still trying to confirm the fact that Kevin's a pro. In my own mind, that's the impression I have of him. And to, to me, this is all about, you know, we, people say, oh, you make a lasting first impression. I mean, this is reality, right? I mean, that impression is going to be stuck in their mind, even their subconscious mind, where they're to the point where they're avoiding things that, uh, that would change that initial perception of them. Right. Cool. All right. Um, that's, a, that's a great one. Confirmation bias. Um, the next one here is called the halo effect. I think this one's pretty interesting. Um, and this is a cognitive bias whereby the perception of one trait is influenced by the perception of another trait of that person or, or object. So the halo effect happens, especially if the perceiver does not have enough information about all traits so that he makes assumptions based on one or two prominent traits. Okay. Give me an so, example of that one, Kevin. Yeah. So th- this is one where... Basically, like, so let's think about it from, you know, a financial professional's perspective. And let's say you're out meeting with a prospective client and you want them to feel like, hey, they're, you're good at what you do. Now, let's say you take them out golfing and you are a terrible golfer and this is one of their first impressions of you and you are just hacking. I mean, you're just hitting the ball over the place. You're out in the woods looking for your ball, whatever it might be. There is this halo effect would mean that even subconsciously they might think that, especially if they don't know a lot about you, that, you might not be very good at what you do because you are terrible at this particular trait, this particular action. Right. You're one for one, not very good at this. You might not be good for that. And I could definitely see that working as opposed to, you know, like you, you went out, let's say you're out playing tennis with someone and I'm using sports analogies here and they were just great at tennis. You think, wow, this person works hard on their game. They're, they're dedicated. They're, they're precise they're, And you think you might think in your head, even subconsciously that they're probably good at everything that they do. Right. So again, that, that's the whole, the whole bias here. I mean, and, and it could work in terms of what you're saying too. Like if you met with someone and they're drunk or sloppy, you think that, Hey, they're probably you know, sloppy at a lot of other things too. Yeah. They might be sloppy with my financial planning. Yeah. Uh, status quo bias. So shifting gears here, people tend not to change and establish behavior unless the incentive to change is compelling. Right. And think about this as we know across the industry, there are many, many fine financial professionals who do a great job for their clients. But as with any occupation, there are plenty of advisors out there who aren't quite as conscientious and and who could work on their game, to say the least, right? Every occupation has good and bad. Our occupation does for sure. Mm -hmm. So uh, as you think about that and you think about all the affluent investors out there who are matched up with an advisor who may not be the best fit for them, who may not be giving them the right attention, who may have terrible returns, who may not provide any kind of planning or oversight into their financial life, Yet they're not moving, right? right? Some of these people are sticking with. These lousy advisors haven't all gone out of business. Some of them still have their clients, and, and part of this is the status quo bias. It's easier to stick with that advisor even if he or she isn't doing a great job for you than it is to move. I, th- I think one of the, the things that makes the status quo bias somewhat sticky is the idea that you know you, you almost uh, – the, the client, the prospect has to, has to admit that they made a mistake in order to move in a way. Like, I mean, I think that's that's part of it, too. Right. And so they, they just stick with what they've done. They want to stick to their guns. Um, and, you know, this this concept, too, is when we always say, you know, affluent prospects are not looking to make a lateral move. Yeah, you've got to. I mean, if you think about action steps for this one, 
overcoming status quo bias, you've got to position yourself as someone who is not just a little better mm-hmm. than the the other person, but your service and your deliverables are way better. Right. Right. It's like we I've given the analogy before. You're not going to take in a car to the dealership that's an eight year old car with a hundred thousand miles on it and come out of there with a, a slightly different car that's seven years old and has <laughs> ninety thousand miles on it. If we're going to go through the hassle of, of wrangling with these guys over buying a car, it's going to be for something that's clearly better. Right. Right. And the same here with financial services. You've got to be positioned to someone who's clearly better and to stress the fact that it's not as onerous as it may seem to change financial advisors. It happens all the time. We'll make this process very easy for you. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. So that status quo bias, that is a strong force, right? That is a really strong force that, that advisors have to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, subscribe to our podcast if you like. If you're listening via um, via the podcast, make sure you subscribe. If you're watching via YouTube, which is great too, make sure you subscribe as well. Okay, next one here is called loss aversion. So this refers to people's tendency to strongly prefer avoiding losses to acquiring gains. So some studies mm-hmm. suggest that losses are twice as powerful psychological psychologically as gains. So I think this definitely pertains to a lot of your clients as well, right? Mm. They're, they're not – while a lot of them do want growth and they appreciate it, um, it's way worse when there's losses. And you know this, right? I mean the advisors deal with this on a day-to-day basis. This loss aversion um, concept really uh, I think just hammers that home that it's painful to them. It's twice as painful to them when they're losing money as opposed to when they're gaining a little bit of money. So playing up words like protection, mm-hmm. right? When you're talking to a, a new potential client, uh, protecting versus the downside. Yeah, protecting principle and things like yeah. that, right? Um, I- I- exactly right. Now, at the same time, we are looking for opportunities to grow, but most of our most of our clients want to, you know, preserve preservation right. of, a, of principle. Right. Next one up: egocentric bias. Oh, when, this is this one. Is this your bias? Is this I coined one? this one. Uh, <laughs> no, egocentric, egocentric bias is when people claim more responsibility for themselves for the results of a joint action than an outside observer would give them. So basically, you and I work on this podcast. Let's say five years down the road, it's actually a success. <laughs> I take full credit, right? Because my name comes first on the Stephen and Kevin show. And uh, because I bring this spark of personality to each episode. Yeah, yeah. Right? you are a bold personality. <laughs> I mean, that's that's egocentric bias. If I were to say, yeah. you know, we produce this thing jointly, but really the success of it is because of me, egocentric bias. Mm. Now, where do we have to be mindful of that? Well, a couple of ways. If you're on teams, yeah, don't go around claiming credit for things that were, were joint actions of the team. Yeah. Right? I think we all get that deep down, but we have to be mindful of it. Give credit to others. Make sure everybody knows they were a part of it from your receptionist to your CEO. Everybody took part in this in some way. Um, as importantly for those of you, whether you're on a team or not, when you're dealing with clients, this egocentric bias can play in the form of of, of clients' uh, you know, total net worth or their investment returns or mm-hmm. their portfolio value. And that, you know, let's say you and I have been working together for 25 years. I'm the advisor. You're the client. And you've got a great nest egg. You're retiring comfortably. I can't be, even though I've given you great advice I've put you in some nice investments that have paid off well. I've given you a financial plan. I can't claim all the credit for having you retire comfortably or overplay that hand 
because you worked real hard for that money. Right, right. right? You can't take credit for all of that. And no, even subtly. They they know they have money saved and invested because they worked real hard for it. Right. And they don't want you stepping on those toes. This one is, is really interesting to me, uh, especially when you were talking about the team aspect, mm-hmm. when you're saying that, look, as a team, we are accomplishing these things. And, and uh, even though you might have brought in the client or, you know, all of that, but there's a whole team involved. And um, I, I actually learned a lesson. Well, one of my first jobs ever out of out of grad school, um, I had a review with my boss at the time, and um, I remember her saying something to me like, "During team meetings, you say a lot of I instead of we." And I thought, "Oh my gosh, I didn't even one. I didn't realize I was doing that." You're the Alan Iverson of their team. Yeah, the <laughs> Alan, that is funny. Um, but you know what? Um, I I really she, I remember her saying that, and it really stuck with me in the sense that it, it, from that point forward, she said, "Look, we is a much stronger word. Even if it was, you know, we weren't directly involved with this. We're you know we're all working as a team. So if you said, "Hey, we accomplished this. We mm-hmm. did this. Everyone feels bought in, and they appreciate that." When you say "I," that's I think I feel like that's part of this yeah. egocentric bias at play here. A- absolutely. I love it. Um, okay. Next one here is the self-serving bias. And this is a tendency to attribute successful outcomes to dispositional factors and unsuccessful outcomes to situational factors. Mm. So uh, if we do something well, we may feel the success is due to our ability. Mm-hmm. If we do something badly, we externalize the blame onto some other sort of, of factor. So we, we blame something else. Oh, it didn't work out because I didn't have enough capital or I didn't have the team behind me to support me um, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You, you come up with some of these. And, and the reality is, is that look, you are responsible for your own individual success. And this is one of these things where it's almost like it helps you rationalize failures a little bit. Yeah. So let's say, for example, you really hit stride with CPAs and attorneys and you work out some great partnerships that are funneling in a lot of business for you. You're thinking, oh, you know, I did this. This was me. This was me. And it was you. But let's say you have a lack of those partnerships. It's not because CPAs don't refer. It's not because they already have existing partnerships where you're at. It's because you haven't worked hard enough to get those things going. How many professionals have we worked with, Stephen, who say that those types of alliances, they just don't work? Yeah, it's yeah. an easy example to pick on because yeah. a lot of people rationalize it and say they just don't work because of the CPA or because of the environment we're in or because of them getting into our business. When in reality, it's because we probably haven't worked that hard at it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, most of the people who tell us those alliances don't work are ones who they've they've dabbled with it, but they really you know they haven't given it a full effort. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And so we do this for a number of reasons, probably to protect our own egos. Sure. Um, you know, it, it's um, it just excuses. But the reality is, is that, you know, it's it's overall, it's self-awareness. Um, this is a piece of advice that Matt gave to um, myself mm. when I was uh, first starting to do, doing coaching with financial professionals. And he said, don't take credit for their successes or failures. And I thought that was really interesting because he was saying, don't take credit for their successes. And there's a tendency as the coach, your client does something great. They just brought in a brand new client that you want to say, heck yeah, that's me, right? Yeah, how'd that get started? I gave yeah. you some great language for that one, right? But you naturally, if they, if they do something poorly, you just you blame, oh, that's their own fault. They're not doing the actions that we've outlined and blah, blah, blah. But he says, don't take credit for either, right? Because one will you know help you fall victim to the other. I, I think that that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so a- anyway. That's, yeah. I like it. Um, and last one here, gang, the in-group bias. In-group. Which is the preferential treatment that people give to those 
whom they perceive to be members of their own groups. Hmm. Right? And this is, I think, comes into play in a, in a couple of ways. We're not saying you're trying to impress and you're trying to, to drive the same cars as your clients, to try to live in a house that's as big as your clients, to try to be members of the most exclusive club in town if you can't really afford it. It's not trying too hard. Right? That's one thing we want to avoid is we don't want to try too hard. But it is, when you're thinking about your target market, your, your niche market perhaps, don't think about groups that are your total opposite. Leverage commonality. Mm-hmm. Right? So if, if you're somebody, I'm trying to think of two polar opposite groups. Let's say you're in your, you know, your mid-40s, you're a hard-charging business person, you're a very type A personality. You, know, you may not be uh, quite as attractive to the um, to the local authors or artist groups, right? The more mm-hmm. free-flowing, visual thinkers, right? Th- think about uh, people who are much like you, uh, where, where you went to school. Yeah. People who uh, might uh, have shared a former occupation with you, what you did prior to getting into this career. Right? Think about people who you have stuff in common with. I think that this one really speaks to the importance of groups and affiliations and those types mm-hmm. of things, whether it is alumni or certain clubs or an exercise group or whatever the heck it might be, if you are a part of that group or, you know, I, I just think about, and, and I was not in a fraternity, but if I was, I mean, it's, a, it's that same kind of thing. Like there is a, like a, um, a brotherhood there, right? And they're, you know, they're in the same group. So I'm sure that they treat each other a little differently. Yeah, exactly. Much the same, like you said, Kevin, somebody's in your running group, you're going to be more likely to take them up on a meeting to talk finance than you would if they approached you out of the blue. So you give them better treatment. Uh, a little bit. So I uh, hope these are helpful. They're interesting to us to kind of go through and analyze some of these terms and to think through how they ap- apply to business professionals. Uh, again, if you haven't taken us up on our offer for a coaching consultation, please do. We're happy to chat with you to see if there is a fit. This is a great time of year to do just that. So thanks for joining us, everybody. See you next time.